Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, and trying to get your life back. I am your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed therapist, and I specialize in the treatment of OCD and anxiety. So, uh, for everyone who's new, thank you for joining us. For all you returning listeners, thank you for coming back. Uh, it, it means a great deal that uh, all of you do listen, so thank you so much. So, um, this episode, we're going to get back on track with just what this show is about, which is having a little bit of discussion about uh, some things related to anxiety, and then also uh, question and answers. Um, again, for anybody out there, if you have questions about OCD, about anxiety, about treatment, about about uh, uh, navigating the waters of the world of OCD, uh, shoot me an email. You can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can ask a question there, um, and uh, I will read it and likely put it on a future episode, which is uh, what something that we're going to get to uh, later on in the show. I have tortured all of you with all these crazy long episodes, an hour long, over an hour long, hearing me ramble on about some nonsense or chatting with somebody. Uh, For those of you who want a short episode, I deeply apologize. So we're going to try to shorten this one up as much as we can. Um, If I go over, it's because I I, I yap a lot. I apologize. Um, By the way, there are some exciting, super exciting, fun things in the FearCast world. I can't tell you about them right now, but they're super exciting. I'm really looking forward to them, and I'm also equally terrified. So I will share about those things as the weeks and months progress, but um, there's some exciting things happening in the uh, FearCast world. All right. So we are all right at the beginning of summer. Um, Summer break is happening for all the students, for all the teachers out there. Summer break is upon us. For all of us schlubs who have to work, um, we don't know anything about this. We just have to keep working until we're dead. But for everyone who's on summer break, all the students, all the teachers, anyone who's uh, working within the school system, you guys get an awesome, fun break. However, for some of you with OCD and anxiety, this is not a fun time. In fact, this is a time that I hear from the the, the teachers that I work with. Um, they dread this time. They dread summer break. They dread winter break. Because what does it mean is nothing but two and a half months or two months or whatever it is of unfettered obsession time. It's just no structure, just their brain running wild, and they typically don't like it. So what I wanted to talk about today are our five tips for how you can handle your summer. Now, this may apply, or I think this certainly applies to any teachers or any of the students out there who are who are struggling with their own anxieties or struggling with their obsessive thoughts and trying to figure out how they're going to get through this summer, especially if you, if you aren't seeing a therapist and aren't uh, within that structure of things. So I wanted to give you some tips, and I think this also applies for, uh, for all, everyone else out there who, who doesn't have the summer break, who doesn't have the luxury of just hanging out for a couple of months. Um, this are, these are still some things that I think are really helpful for everyone to consider. So in classic listicle form, we're going with five things, the top five things. They are out of order, but um, five things. Here we go. Number one, and this sounds so generic, but generally everyone should be taking care of yourself. Now, this is just across the board. This is developing a lifestyle that is anti-anxiety. This includes sleeping well, 
getting enough sleep is incredibly helpful for your overall mental health, for your metabolism, for your uh, uh, for your memory, for pretty much anything. Sleep is incredibly important to you. Having a balanced diet is also going to be important. Along with that, exercising regularly. It doesn't mean that you have to go and try to become Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, but it means you need to continue to try to work out, exercise a little bit, get your heart rate up. This overall helps you to be able to better handle anxiety when it comes. In addition to this, reducing the alcohol and tobacco that you use. If you are a drinker, if you are a smoker, Trying to cut back on this is, is generally speaking, going to help your anxiety. It's going to help you to manage your anxiety a little bit better, and it's not going to, it's not going to be throwing you off so much that sometimes when you smoke or sometimes when you drink, it can contribute to your anxiety. Perhaps you've noticed. Um, I'll often talk to folks who, when they drink, uh, they say the next day their anxiety is significantly higher. So cutting back or reducing the amount of alcohol and tobacco that you're having can be an incredible help. Uh, lastly, within the generally taking care of yourself, maintaining a healthy friend group. We're social creatures. Try to make contact with some people that you care about and who care about you. Um, it doesn't have to be every day, but periodically being in contact with these folks can be helpful. All right. So step one, generally take care of yourself. So number two, decide on one big exposure for the summer. So think about something that is kind of like a bucket list thing, something that you've you've wanted to accomplish, something that seems really difficult. And I want you to plan to do that and complete it by the end of the summer. Now you're at the very beginning of the summer, so you've got plenty of time. So start with thinking about what you want to do, what you want to challenge yourself to do. And then once you decide on this, I want you to then work back and create these little milestones and little steps to eventually get you there. And this can include smaller exercises that you're going to do a couple of times a week. Maybe it's even just once a week you're going to do it. So it might be a public speaking type of thing. So with that, you might plan to go to weekly. You might plan to go to Toastmasters if that's something that uh, that is near you. Um, ultimately, working towards maybe giving a speech or giving a talk um, in front of a, a church group or in front of your work uh, group or in front, of, in front of your friends. Maybe you have a toast for a, a, a wedding coming up at the end of the summer and you want to prep for that. So start small and start working your way up. Now, uh, there was a program, there was an exercise program a bunch of years ago. The book is still out there, obviously, but it's called, it was called Body for Life. And it had this idea that it was, a, it was like a three-month workout plan. And what they said was at the very beginning of the workout plan, schedule and pay for professional photographs of yourself at the end of this process. So you can see what you looked like before, then what you looked like after. So you'd pay for it all the way in advance at the beginning of the thing. And it for some, it creates a, 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 an incredible motivator to actually doing the system, doing the diet, working out as it uh, as it dictates. So at the end of the summer, you see all of the results that you had. What this means for us is, for whatever your exposure is, plan for it, pay for it, plan for it, have some accountability for it in some type of way. Maybe it's telling friends you're going to do this and then asking them to keep you accountable for it. But think about what you can do and who you can surround yourself with that's going to support you and, and, and hold you to following through on it. All right. Number three, prepare yourself with a list of exposures to challenge yourself. So 
you know your fears. You've been you a long time, and you know the feared stories that roll through your mind. Just because you're on summer break doesn't mean your OCD and your anxiety is on summer break. Instead, challenge yourself with small daily and medium kind of weekly exposures and stay consistent in it. Write it down. Make it make it so you, you can't get around it. Write, write it on a piece of paper. Put it on your desk. Put it next to your bed. Put it in your car. Put it somewhere. Put it somewhere so that you see it. You see it all the time. And it reminds you every day I'm doing this. And then once a week I'm doing this bigger thing. Remember, practice makes better. I'm never going to say practice makes perfect. Okay, I'm probably not going to say practice makes perfect. But practice makes better. The more you practice these exposures, the better you get. All right. Number three, have some plans. What this means is intentionally give yourself some plans for something to do on a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, and end-of-summer basis. Now, this can be separate from that big goal that we were talking about, but it can also be that exact goal. It's incredibly helpful to have something to look forward to rather than kind of getting lost in, you know, what day is it, and I just kind of wake up, and I know I eat something, and then I eventually go to bed, and I play some video games, I go see a friend, I go to the, I, I, I go play some basketball, and I go home, just the, the monotony of things we can get lost in. Instead, create these little checkpoints for yourself with things that you're going to go do, things that you're going to go see. It doesn't have to be extravagant, by the way. But give yourself something that you're going to look forward to that's exciting. It might be going to a new museum. It might be going to a new restaurant. It might be going to the same Chip- or going to Chipotle, but it's going to be across town. It's going to be at a new location. Ooh, exciting, right? But it gives you something to do. What this can also look like is intentionally at the very beginning of summer, buying tickets for a concert or for a show or something like that um, in a month and then in two months. Because what that's going to look like is you have this fun, nice surprise for yourself that comes up in four weeks and then in eight weeks that you don't need to scramble to have plans. You've already got your plans and you've already got your tickets. And because you bought them well in advance, they're going to be fantastic. And it's going to feel really good to know that you're not going to get lost in the boredom of life and, and trying to scramble around to find something to do. And then at the end of it, just abandon that because you can't find something to do or it's not very fun or you find yourself doing the same thing all the time. So step three, have some plans for yourself. All right. So step four, have some plans for yourself. Which brings us to step five, which is anticipate how and where your anxiety is going to creep up on you. Again, you know you. You've been you a long time, and you've been in your head. Make a list for yourself. Again, I know, make a list. I Make a list for some people out there is going to be compulsive and is going to be um, a reassurance step. Take this with a grain of salt. Okay, make a list of all the likely pitfalls and traps that your anxiety is probably going to have in store for you as the summer goes. So if you know you have an event coming up that involves a lot of new people or the and you have social anxiety, remind yourself it's coming. Remember that you've challenged your anxiety in the past and that you have overcome it. If you know your aunt is coming from out of state and you know she has terrible hygiene, is staying at your place, and you have contamination obsessions, anticipate how it's likely to bug you, where it's likely to start kicking up some obsessive thoughts and some feared stories, and then reflect on how all of that is overblown, irrational, and that you can survive the house being contaminated or disrupted in exactly the way your anxiety is suggesting that it's going to. 
Again, you know you and you can short circuit this. What this means is we don't then avoid having your aunt at your house. We don't avoid uh, doing uh, uh, the things that make us feel nervous socially, but we anticipate them and we accept that those things are going to make us feel uncomfortable because guess what? They probably are, but you're going to be living your life and feeling uncomfortable. All right. So as a recap from the top, number one, generally take care of yourself. Number two, decide on one big exposure for the summer. Number three, prepare yourself with a list of exposures and personal challenges. Number four, have plans. And number five, anticipate how and where your anxiety is likely to creep up on you. Now, I'm going to throw in a bonus here. So this is a bit of a twofer. So first of all, be compassionate. And second, in the immortal words of Don Amigo and Tom Haverford, treat yourself. What does this mean? All right, be compassionate. Be kind to yourself in the inevitability that you're going to do compulsions. You're going to slip up. You're going to avoid. Or that you're otherwise not going to follow through on something that you say that you wanted to. It happens. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You and I are all works in progress. So, allow yourself to slip up, allow yourself to make these mistakes, and then get back on the horse and start, start moving forward towards your goals. Again, we're going to get sidetracked by a bunch of things in life. Some things are going to throw us off, some things are going to catch us off guard, and then we're going to fall back on what we had previously rehearsed, previously planned. And that's okay. It's, it's human brain stuff. It's what happens. But when that happens, we're not going to beat ourselves up. We're going to remind ourselves, you know what? This happens. I knew it was going to happen. And then we get back on the horse and we keep moving. Now, treat yourself. When you accomplish a big thing, even a minor thing, by the way, when you challenge yourself, reward yourself. Yes, there's reward to be found within the, the, the freedom, from, uh, freedom from that specific fear or, or overcoming that specific thing. Yes, of course. But also, it's nice to have some small, tangible thing that feels good to you. And I'll I'll give you an example. Um, I am very food-oriented and uh, food-motivated. So I might have shared this before, but during college, whenever I would have a midterm or a final, and this is pretty much every midterm or final I would do this, so it was was great, um, if if finances allowed me to do it, is because of all the work and all the effort that I put into studying or planning or whatever it is that I needed to do for that class, at the end of it, however I did, whether or not I aced it or whether or not I did not ace it, um, I went just off campus right after uh, right after the test right after the midterm whatever um, and I went to I went to this this little like Chinese food place that was in the basement of some building it was super sketchy and it was super gross I'm sure if I were to go back and look at that place I would be disgusted with the fact that I ate there but it was so good it was so good and it was dirt cheap it was like five bucks and they took that little styrofoam thing and they packed that thing full of orange chicken and stuff that I'm sure is what's going to kill me when I'm young. But it was so good. And it gave me something to look forward to. Now, I didn't go to this place just on a whim at other times. This was my own little special reward. 
I want you to think about what your own little special reward is going to be for doing some of these big things, for challenging and pushing yourself. It's going to feel good, and it's going to give you more reason to do it outside of just, quote, because it's good for you or because people tell you you should or it'd be good for this other thing. Do it because you're also going to get this other thing. It ultimately all just helps. So as a bonus, be compassionate and treat yourself. All right. So now we're going to get on to a question from a listener. So this question comes from Alex. He says, I first wanted to reach out and say thank you for the work that you're doing on your podcast. I'm in my mid-20s, and after about 13 years of completely unhelpful, perhaps even harmful misdiagnoses and improper treatment, I have finally realized that I'm suffering from OCD. Your podcast has become an excellent tool and a huge source of comfort for me as I work on educating myself. Your podcast has also been an uncharacteristically accessible resource as finding affordable treatment has been far less than convenient. I live in Los Angeles, parenthetically, he says, near you, and as you likely know, a much better equipped city than most in terms of therapy. And I have found a whopping total of zero reputable therapists that both specialize in OCD and the proper treatments and accept my insurance. I'm trying to pick up some side hustles to cover the cost of truly beneficial but more expensive out-of-network therapy. And then he says, like any proper millennial would. He goes on to say, however, in the meantime, and for those folks who simply don't have access to the proper treatment for one reason or another, what can one do to manage their anxiety on their own? He ends his question with saying, wow, that was an exceptionally roundabout way of asking a question. Again, thank you so much for the resource and for your time. You're doing a pretty rad thing. Peace, Alex. Alex, thanks so much for that question. And first off, I'm pretty excited, and dare I say, stoked that Rad has made its way back. So Alex, I think you asked a super, super relevant question. It's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast, is to try to get out as much good information as possible, at least good information from my perspective, which again, I think is pretty stinking good and pretty stinking helpful. So the IOCDF, which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's the International OCD Foundation. Um, they have a stat on their website that says the, that it takes an average of 14 to 17 years from the time OCD begins for people to finally obtain appropriate treatment. So it, it kind of sounds like you are you know, kind of falling within the statistic. It's unfortunate that that, that, that has to be the case. But for, for all of you listeners out there, it can take an incredibly long time for someone to find or to obtain an appropriate diagnosis and also to then get in contact with a therapist or treatment plan that is specific to OCD and is going to actually help. So it, it's a difficult thing. Now, we're, we're, I think we're closing this gap um, with, uh, within the OCD community, between the therapist, between the, the ways that we can get information out. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's still going to be a long road. All right, but to your question, you asked, specifically the question was, what can one do to manage their OCD on their own? So I'm going to assume that this also means uh, doing it on your own without the help or without the guidance of a therapist. Now, Alex, you already know what to do. You've already been doing it. 
you've been using one of the resources that I'm going to list here, which is this ridiculous podcast. This is, I think this is one of the best times on earth to have OCD and anxiety because the amount of information, the amount of actually good information that can be found is out there. Um, and uh, and a, a lot of it's free or a lot of it is very, very inexpensive. Um, and these are things that you can do. And I would encourage anybody out there to go out there, try to find some of this information and utilize what some of these folks are saying. Now, I will say this as a caveat to anything that I'm about to say, because anybody, any schmuck like me can put out a podcast, there's going to be some information out there that's incredibly good, and there's going to be some information out there that is going to be questionable at best. So what I would encourage everybody to do is as they're gathering some of the information on how how to treat their anxiety, what, in, what OCD and anxiety is, what are some things they can do about it, start looking for patterns and start looking for things that are really common amongst all of them. Because you might hear some stuff that sounds very fringy that is then not repeated by other sources. So if it's not repeated by other sources, it's likely that it doesn't fall within the, we can call it the, the canon of OCD and anxiety treatment. And I'd put that to the side. I'm not going to say that that thing is actually unhelpful or dangerous or, or not going to work for you. But I would say wait on doing that until you jump in with a therapist who you can bounce these ideas off of. But I've already gone down the rabbit hole a little bit too much. So a couple of things that people can do. Um, first off, I would encourage everybody to avail themselves to all one or many of the numerous OCD books that are going to be out there. Um, this is how folks become experts on OCD is by reading books and by trying to stuff as much information into their heads as possible about this. Now, of course, this can become compulsive. Of course, we can do this too much. But starting from somewhere is going to be helpful. Um, there, are going to be, there, there are a ton of really, really good books out there. You can find them on Amazon. You can find them likely in your local library. And some of them are going to be real, some of them are going to be workbooks. They're actually going to walk you through some specific exercises that you can do to help challenge your obsessive thoughts, like we've talked about here, to develop scripts, to develop specific exposures for yourself, how to build your hierarchy. There are some good resources out there um, that, uh, that you can certainly find. I would encourage you to try to find a book. Start there. You can also often find support through online support groups. Um, just to name a few, there's going to be the OCD subreddit on the Reddit website. Uh, there are going to be a number of Facebook groups. There are a bunch of Yahoo groups, uh, various other forums that are out there. I'm sure there are a bunch of them internationally that I'm not even aware of. Now, these can be great in terms of reading things that other people are writing and saying and, and, and seeing yourself in what they're saying and realizing that you're not alone, realizing that other people around the world are experiencing a lot of these same anxieties and going through the same struggles that you are. Now, that being said, this can be an incredibly awkward and dangerous, I might say, place for someone with OCD, because there's also a lot of very, very bad information in some of these support groups. Um, there's, there, it, it, for, it, it blows my mind about how many people encourage um, compulsions, encourage avoidances, encourage things that are ultimately just unhelpful. And, and people also get into fights about what is the right thing to do. Steer clear of that, or if you if you have your head on straight, try to avoid getting sucked into some of that stuff. Another thing you can do, 
podcasts. And I'm also going to include YouTube videos in this um, because there are a lot of folks who do both and a lot of folks who kind of supplement with one or the other. But there are a number of really good podcasts out there. I like to think this is one of them. And there are a lot of other very, very good ones uh, that are going to help you learn a little bit more about OCD and about anxiety tips and tricks and tools. So as you're watching these YouTube videos or listening to podcasts, use your common sense and start thinking about what are some of these things that you think you could try to do, and some of them may be helpful. Now, obviously, the advantage of meeting with a a professional therapist on this is uh, they are, in in, in a sense, going to be helping to point you in the right direction based on what you're going through. Um, This was not part of your question on how to try to find a therapist, but you can almost think about a therapist as as someone who already knows what the puzzle pieces overall are going to look like. Um, but the the puzzle pieces themselves on uh, individually, they're all out there, and they're out there in books and blogs and online support groups and podcasts and YouTube videos. So a therapist is going to help you put them together, but you can certainly gather this information yourself and try to piece them together. And sometimes with some of these resources, you can get really really far. So I would encourage you to continue to do this. And again, I know that you're already doing this. You asked a question to a podcast about OCD and anxiety. So keep doing it. But to expand on what you're talking about and and about how difficult it is to try to find a therapist, it is. Is it's also difficult to find a therapist, even if you're not uh, struggling with OCD, uh, OCD and anxiety, just trying to find a regular old therapist. The world of insurance and the world of therapy is is really confusing. It's really confusing for therapists to try to navigate it too. So if you feel lost, good, you probably should be like the rest of us. But Alex, I also wanted to give you some tips on on how to try to find a therapist that accepts your insurance or to give you some other things that you can think about on ways that you can get connected to some some really high quality therapy. So first, I'm going to start with aside from your insurance. So this is separate from your insurance. Some other options that you can look for other than finding a licensed uh, uh, MFT like myself, it's marriage and family therapy. Uh, there are also going to be um, LCSWs out there, licensed clinical social workers. There are going to be uh, PsyDs. There are going to be PhDs. These are folks who have doctorates um, in psychology. Um, and uh, aside from those folks who have their license, a good way to start might be finding an intern or what's called a psych assistant at an OCD or anxiety specialist center. So what an intern or a psych assistant is, it's a therapist who is in training. So what they've done is a, a an intern, or I think they call them, they call them associates now. Sorry, when I was going through school, it was called you were you were a uh, you were a trainee before you graduated with your master's, and then you were an intern until you became licensed. I think they're now called associates. So pardon me. Um, for doctoral folks, they are going to be called psych assistants, or uh, uh, they're going to be called psych assistants after they graduate, all the way up until they become licensed. Now, what these folks are doing, they're accumulating hours working under a licensed therapist, gathering information. They meet with that. Uh, they meet with the licensed therapist. Um, once, twice, three, four times a week um, to talk about clients, to talk about clinical issues, to learn about how to implement these tools. So there's going to be an incredible advantage of meeting with an intern is that not only are you getting a therapist, but you're also getting that therapist at a likely lower fee. 
So in addition to getting that one therapist, you are also getting the expertise of at least one other expert OCD therapist. So you're getting two heads for the price of one, actually for a a discounted price. So that is one way to go. Um, I I know there there can certainly be a lot of uh, stigma against interns or psych assistants because they're not licensed therapists. But you know what? There are folks who are like the day before, the hour before, you get your license, you're still called an intern. So there are still some very high quality, very, very talented and uh, very effective therapists out there who are interns. And again, they are going to be at a lower fee. That's one place to start. So secondly, you can call some of these uh, OCD and anxiety um, treatment centers. And you can ask if they have something called a sliding scale. So sliding scale is going to be a range of fees where the therapist will will feel okay sliding down to uh, uh, for their services. Now, some therapists do this, some therapists don't. Some therapists or some therapy centers have their sliding scale based on the therapist, their experience, and their uh, license status. So there are a bunch of different ways to do this, but essentially you can think about it as, as a way of negotiating rate. Now, again, some places will do this, some places won't. Another thing to think about is some therapists out there are going to actually have reduced fees for hours of low demand. So some of this might be early morning or midday, uh, you know, times that they might not be getting a whole lot of clients in for, for, uh, for a number of reasons. But they might be willing to see you during that time at a lower rate than having that spot empty and making nothing. So that may be something to call some of these therapists uh, about. Uh, lastly, outside of, again, looking into insurance, think about groups. There are a number of groups. You're in Los Angeles. There are a bunch of groups out there, um, all the way from Pasadena. I know that uh, uh, there's one in, in Brentwood. There's one down in Orange County. There there are a couple others that uh, I might not even be mentioning, but there are groups out there, and, and, and likely you're in driving distance from these. I know when I was working up in uh, up in LA, I'm now down in Orange County. Um, I ran groups for three years, and they were great, and they're still going on. And within these groups, you can actually make a ton of progress. Some of them are going to be designed in different ways, but look into a group because it's going to likely be a lower fee, and some of them are free, as far as I know. So look into that. Another advantage of a group is that you're not just learning from the therapist that's there, the the person who's running it, but you also have some other aspects that are sometimes better than individual, meaning you're getting mutual support and accountability from the other people in the group. You're also pooling the resources of information from all the other folks in that room because they are all doing exposures, they are all doing things, and they're coming back and sharing what their experience was. And you can, if you work at it, you can take what they're saying and apply it to your own stuff. So you might want to think about groups as well. So some tips on actually how to find a therapist through your insurance as well. Um, I would start here. Go to your insurance panel. Uh, go to the website that has all the names of the therapists that uh, that accept your insurance, and then cross-reference them. Google them. See what their website says. See if they have a therapist finder page, something like that. See if they say anything about that they treat OCD, that they have experience working with CBT. 
Now, be cautious because everyone says they are a specialist in CBT, and then because they took a CBT class, everyone treats uh, OCD. But you want to avoid someone who says something like uh, psychodynamic or dynamic or family systems. There's nothing against those. I'm not saying there's anything bad about them, but for OCD and anxiety, they're not going to be for you. And you can do this to help narrow your search down. You can also call your insurance company and ask if they have what's called out-of-network benefits. And what this is, is is your insurance company might reimburse you at a percentage of what you pay out of pocket. So you might pay 100 bucks, they might reimburse you for 50 bucks. But while you're still putting 100 bucks out of pocket, you're getting $50 back. So you saw a therapist for 50 bucks. And likely what they'll do is they'll provide you with a super bill. I know this is what, what, what I do, is I provide a super bill that has all the necessary information to submit to insurance and then I'll give that to you, and then you submit that to your insurance, and then they will reimburse you. Now, this can be a pain in the butt. It probably will be, but this is one option that you could do. So lastly, and probably most important, and this is this is actually really good for folks who are looking for people within insurance or outside of insurance. If you find someone that you kind of like, call and speak to them. Get a feeling for your comfort level with them. See if you even like chatting with them just about who they are, what they're about, what their what their specialties are. Now, the uh, the IOCDF has a list of questions that you should ask uh, a new therapist and also a new psychiatrist. And I'm going to link that uh, on the episode page. But some of the important questions it, it suggests that you ask are, what techniques do you use to treat OCD? Now, they should say something to the effect of, cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure and response prevention. And they should be specific about that. You can also ask, what's your training and background in treating OCD? You're going to want to listen for references to specific internships about OCD or anxiety or memberships to various associations. Another question that's really good to ask is, how much of your practice currently involves anxiety and OCD disorders? So some folks might say, well, you know, I see, uh, you know, an anxiety person every now and again, or, you know, it's, you know, it's 10% OCD. I, you know, I have one person who I treat with OCD right now. If you live in a, for, for other listeners, if you live in a small town, you, the therapist or the therapists uh, around you might not have as much access or might not have as much experience with OCD as someone say in Los Angeles or New York or San Francisco or Seattle, uh, some of these bigger cities. I'm happy to say that 100% of my practice is OCD and anxiety. This is all I work with. This is all I want to work with. Um, it, 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 it's great from my perspective. So again, for more questions, go to the episode page, download that form, or go to the IOCDF uh, website. It's got some great information there. Now, lastly, and this is as a, as a long shot. This may not even work for you. Um, but if you legitimately just can't find anybody who specializes in OCD or anxiety, and this might qualify for somebody who is out of country or who lives in a rural area and just simply can't find someone who, who specializes, um, you can, if you can find someone who, who has good experience with working with CBT, you can call them and ask them if they're willing to go through a workbook with you. Now, I've heard of some other therapists try or suggest this in the past. 
Um, and it's a, it is an odd request, but it's certainly possible. You may want to see if you find someone within your insurance panel that you've chatted to, that you kind of like, that they they do CBT and, and you're fine with that, but they don't have a lot of OCD experience, you can ask if they'll go through a workbook with you and help guide you through it. Um, they can also go seek supervision and guidance professionally on their own, and ethically speaking, they ought to, but you can work with them in going through a workbook. Now, who knows? You may even be able to convince them to do this at a reduced fee because you're going to be going through a workbook. They're going to be learning how to do this. It's not going to be their wheelhouse. So there might be some amateur moves involved. Now, this is a gamble, but it could very well pay off. Now, is this a last bit the best advice I've ever given? Probably not. So again, it is a gamble, but but Alex, there there are a lot of other resources and a lot of other ways to find the treatment that you're looking for. Again, um, how can you do it without therapy? How can you do it in an almost free kind of way? Books, blogs, online support groups, podcasts, YouTube. I'm sure there are a number of others. By the way, for all you listeners out there, if you have some suggestions on what some folks uh, can do, if there were some resources out there that you found that were outside of your therapist, shoot them to me in an email, and I will share them on a future future episode because the the more information that's out there, the better. As I tell everybody, my job is to put myself out of a job. It's to try to make sure that everybody I work with never has to see a person like me again as best I possibly can. So again, if you have some resources out there that, that you found really helpful, let me know and I will share them to the masses, to all the people listening to this. So Alex, I know I rambled on and on, so I hope I answered your question. I, I, I hope you, uh, I hope this helped out a little bit. But thank you again for this question. I think it means a lot, and I think it is hopefully going to help other people out there. All right, everybody, thank you for making it through this episode. We are almost at a year, everybody, a year of the fear cast. It's crazy. I can't believe it's been this long. Um, but if you just keep going and keep doing it every other week, um, it happens. And um, thank you, everybody who is listening, who has told a friend about it, and everybody who has who has taken the risk to ask me a question. Again, this just makes the podcast bigger and stronger and gives us more stuff to talk about. Um, it means so much to me. If you like the podcast, please go over to iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, give me a rating. Give me a review. It only helps other people to find the podcast, and it would mean so much to me if you were to do that. Um, if you have questions uh, uh, about uh, OCD and anxiety and want to ask me this question for a future episode, go to fearcastpodcast.com. You can ask your question there, the uh, uh, at submit a question link, and um, I'll read it. I'll get it. I think I was likely deceiving myself at the very beginning when I said I was going to keep this short. Inevitably, I talked too long. Um, so I apologize for any of anybody out there who just wanted a short episode. So as always, everybody remember that the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about therapy, if you would like to get connected with a therapist, you can go to fearcastpodcast.com and go to the Find Help link. And uh, there's going to be some uh, uh, some links there that will connect you to places that where you can find therapists. And also, when you find one of those therapists, you can also utilize some of the information that we talked about in this episode to help. See, it's all coming together. All right, everybody. Thank you again. And until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.